Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Every Horror Movie on Netflix. I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. And I'm Steven. And we're coming to you live from the heart of the quarantine nightmare that is the United States of America right now. If uh, our voices sound a little different than usual, it's because we're trying out this newfangled high-tech uh, online platform to record today instead of all being in the same room, seeing each other's smiling faces, so... We are isolating ourselves. We are not seeing each other. I feel like Terry Gross just in the studio. I can't see anybody, but we're having a very intimate conversation. This is your dream, Chris. Please don't play any footage of uh, my movies or I'll storm out. (laughs) So what are you guys doing to uh, keep yourselves entertained during the quarantine? Have you been consuming any good content, Netflix or, or otherwise? Um, I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty Warzone. I've been entertained by my two cats, which I'm so glad I got just before all this shit went down. Your cats um, have gotten a lot of love on social media. We posted a, a photo of them um, that you guys can go check out if you haven't seen it already. And uh, people people uh, love Mulder and Scully. Oh, I'm sure they appreciate it. But yeah, I'm just hunkered down, staying safe. Um, yeah, Stephen, what have you been? What have you been doing? Um, you know, not a whole lot. My life hasn't really changed all that much with the the self-quarantine. I've been keeping myself for a while. Um, also just like going to bed early. I'm not really watching a lot of content like we're supposed to do now, apparently. Um, oh, wow. Not, no horror movies for me. I just can't really stomach them right now. Wow. Uh, yeah. With everything that's going on. And uh, I don't know, the big thing for me, it's not horror-related, but um, I've been going to a lot more concerts than I ever have before <laughs> in the midst of it's this so outbreak. It's easier now. A lot of my favorite artists are uh, are doing quarantine shows online. I've been donating to some good causes. And uh, yeah, that's something I've been looking forward to almost every evening for the last couple of weeks. Nice. Well, I have been just ruthlessly binging my way through season three of Dragula, which we kind of sort of discovered on Netflix on a whim while we were looking for things to watch on basically the last night out that um, Mm -hmm. me and Steven and a few other folks had before this whole uh, coronavirus thing really hit the fan. Um, And for those of you who are not aware, it's a horror drag competition. I don't usually watch drag competitions. It's not really like my thing. I've never really watched them before, but uh yeah, really enjoyed this one. The the motto of the show is drag, filth, or glamour. And uh, it hits all those sweet spots pretty well for me. I really enjoyed it. And The Nun was a judge, right? Yes. Yeah, The Nun was a judge. Actually, they have some pretty amazing judges on the show. The little girl from uh, Hereditary, who actually isn't really that much of a little girl. She's like 17 years old or something, um, is a judge. Felissa Rose Felissa, from Felissa Sleep Rose, Camp. yeah, is a judge. Um I forget who else. Oh, Henry Rollins was a judge. So, yeah, they get some um, fairly high caliber people. Um, It's a fun show. Check it out if you need something horror and weird to binge during this shit show. Yeah. So um, it's, you know, it's a hell of a time to be alive. Lots of scary stuff going out there. Hopefully all our listeners are doing well. Hopefully all your uh, family members are doing well. Uh, Statistically, that becomes a more and more tenuous uh thing as time goes by but you know with all the horror in the world 
sometimes you just want to watch uh, neo-Nazis sicking dogs on people. <laughs> people yeah, who, we, uh, it should be noted, are, are trapped in a room for the, the bulk of this movie. Very. How did you know, Patrick? How did you know we would be self-quarantining and that this would be the perfect horror film for this time? Well, and we, and we should explain what the film is. It's Green Room, although you probably saw it in the title of the fucking podcast if you started yeah, listening you to this saying? episode. But we, uh, yeah, we this week watched Jeremy... Saulniers? Saul? I, I don't know how you pronounce it. I think that's right. We're, we're, we're not the first people to mispronounce his name. Yeah. But we're in the ballpark. Anyway, that guy's film, uh, Green Room. Uh, this is also the guy who made the film Blue Ruin, um, mm-hmm. which you may have seen. It was fairly critically acclaimed, a little bit under the radar from a few years ago. And uh, basic premise is Patrick Stewart is a skinhead neo-Nazi who takes a punk band hostage in their green room after they witness a murder. Yes. And you said you saw this before, Patrick? What made you decide to uh, to pick it for this week's Yeah, show? good God, why? <laughs> right. So I saw it when it came out. I had heard really great things about it, went to see it in the theater. And I don't know, I was just, you know, it was, it was kind of on a whim, but partly I was like, you know, I want to revisit this because I didn't, it didn't quite live up to the hype for me when I saw it in the theater. I wanted to see how it sat with me this time around. And I was really curious to get both of y'all's takes on it um, because I know Chris hadn't seen it. And I think Steven said he had only seen part of it, right? Yeah, it, it occurred to me. I, I watched it today. Um, still pretty rattled by it. And it occurred to me that I did try to watch it when it came out and I just had to turn it off. It's too mm. intense for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very uh, it's a very real movie. It just feels very lived in. These characters all feel very real and recognizable. The sets feel grimy and real almost to an uncomfortable degree and the decisions characters make feel so um you know, very um in the moment and very uh sort of desperate sometimes and feel very much the way that people would respond if they were in that situation in real life. Very natural. Yeah. I think that's part of what ma- makes this film so visceral and intense for me is that, you know, we're not just falling around a bunch of dipshits. These are all very smart characters who uh, don't always make the right choice. Sometimes they make a choice out of panic, but it, it always feels, um, whatever they do feels totally rooted to their character. Mm-hmm. I was curious about some aspects of this movie, so I actually listened to some podcasts today uh, where they were interviewing our friend Jeremy Sewell-Nier the director um and he actually deliberately said that he he likes making genre movies where it feels like it's real people and real characters and you know ordinary people in these situations um i'm glad that that had that effect on you i had a hard time kind of connecting to any of the characters they may have felt a little too real maybe like i feel like maybe in a movie you need to have some sort of heightened sense of character so that the to connect with an audience rather than just like here's some people who are behaving exactly as normal people would behave and and you're watching them with a camera i don't know I, I think know. for me, it, it this movie struck an oddly personal chord because I know some people exactly like this who are in mm-hmm. punk bands. Uh, they're not on, you know, punk bands that are not on social media. They live out of their vans. They travel around the country, and they probably see some pretty fucked up shit. <laughs> so I just, um, 
the movie does a really great job of, of setting these characters up very efficiently. Yeah, a, cu- a couple of our, our core quartet are, are don't really stand out all that much, but I just felt like an instant empathy for them, even mm-hmm. even based on on their appearances. Yeah, um, I agree with what you said about how some of them don't come across so strongly. I mean, Anton Yelchin plays more or less the lead of the movie and um, is, you know, definitely recognizable character and a, and a distinct character and gives a really nice performance. I always kind of forget what, uh, you know, not a great actor, but he was he was talented. He was, um, you know, always came across well on screen. Um, and then we've got, you know, kind of the, like the jujitsu bro who like is the strong one and actually the physical threat of the quartet. And then there's the girl. <laughs> and then there's another guy who I couldn't even <laughs> fucking describe to you if, if I tried, you know, he has green hair. Right. I think that's about yeah. as far as it goes. He's kind of a non-presence. Um, I, as long as we're talking about the cast, I also want to give a shout out to uh, the guy who played uh, Tad at the beginning uh, the the oh, promoter yeah. guy Mohawk. that they run into. That? Yeah, um, his name was David W. Thompson, and uh, oh, apparently he plays Scarecrow in the TV series Gotham. Oh shit! Oh, wow, he was amazing. Wow. I liked him a lot. He kind of gave me an Adam Driver vibe. Yeah, yeah. He, and uh, he's he's definitely one of those characters I think of when I think of just how real this movie feels because you know this punk band shows up to play a band to play a show in this small town and uh there's this like he's so he's so amiable he's just such a likable guy who sets up this show for them that just goes terribly wrong it's like three people in a fucking mexican restaurant and they make six dollars a piece off it and so to sort of make it up to them he gets them a gig um at this like skinhead venue which he's not a skinhead himself but his brother works like, there. Well, right and right. he's like well you know you'll make 300 bucks or whatever if you play this just play like your hard stuff play your early stuff and that's how they wind up in this situation on this weird neo-nazi compound and he's amiable but i don't know i, I found i found his character really interesting because you know our four protagonists are really living on the fringes of society he's like a few steps up the ladder you know he does he's he's a journalist he seems to have like a a fairly normal day job um he's not he's not living hand to mouth the way they are and i i kind of have to wonder if his well, I mean, it becomes apparent, but I wonder how much of a part he played in this. But it was very reckless of him to recommend that this band play the venue they end up going to. I don't think he understands what the touring life is like and how dangerous a situation like that could really be. Does that yeah, make I mean, sense? He, he tried to warn them, though. I mean, you know, to some degree, their fate is based on... One, them deciding to play Nazi punks fuck off when they get to the venue, which is fucking great. Yeah. Um, and also just on the sheer chance that Anton Yelchin's character forgets his phone in the green room and has to go back and stumbles upon this murder that they were trying, the Nazis were trying to conceal from them. So, yeah. Uh, so let's kind of set up that, that plot a little bit. I mean, it's just, as you said, they, they, and they're in the Pacific Northwest. They're in Oregon actually. And, and they get this gig and actually the gig goes fine. So I, I can't fault uh, the promoter guy that much because the, the gig goes fine. They all get paid. Uh, the only thing that goes wrong is one of the band members has left their phone in the green room. And I think it wasn't Anton Yelchin. I think it was, 
was the girl. The, the, the girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's um, please yeah, not keep I, referring to her. <laughs> the girl being Alia, I, and again, another name that I'm about to butcher, but Alia Shawkat, who's yeah, on uh, I, Arrested I, Development. I oh, I knew she was familiar. I don't know any of these characters' names. Um, but yeah, she goes into the green room and, and has seen that a murder has taken place. And that's why they were kind of rushed out of the green room. Like all their stuff was waiting in the hall for them when they got back. And now since they're a witness, uh, they're kind of held captive until uh, the head honcho, Patrick Stewart, can arrive on the scene and kind of handle the situation. Darcy um, and not the male girl. Right. <laughs> I wish. Um, Me too. But but yeah, the gig goes fine, and you know, it, it, I thought that because they get to the show and they realize how deep in the you know uh, Nazi culture they are, and so then they decide to play the you know Nazi punks fuck off song, and it gets uh, hostile reception. And I was like, is this the inciting incident here? But really, that has no consequence, and it never comes up again. And I thought that was kind of weird. Well, I mean. <sighs> You get introduced to some of the characters who wind up uh, being part of this whole incident later on. Like you see Worm, you see Imogen Poots' character, whose name I forget, who ends up getting locked in the green room with them and becomes an ally to them. Um, yeah, I would have to rewatch it, though, to pick up on that stuff because, I mean, I, I could barely keep the characters straight. Um, the, the Nazi characters straight. I could barely keep the Nazi characters straight watching this movie at all by the end of the movie, much less in that scene but I, I appreciate what you're saying that's, that's what they were going for i'm sure i'd pick up on that on the second viewing well yeah um, i mean i think that's part like... of it because they they see the murderer in the crowd and he clearly is glowering at them as they play nazi punks fuck off and i think again part of the implication is if they hadn't established themselves as being clearly politically not part of this group of people you know they might have just gotten turned loose and been like oh yeah don't tell anybody about the fucking body you saw in the green Uh, room but no they seem more like a threat to the nazis and so you know conflict ensues okay i think no matter that's an interesting take i think no matter who they were they would have still wound up in this situation what i okay so this is i mean it's a movie about the hardcore punk scene so we need to see them play some actual music and it shows that there are pretty reckless and they really do kind of live with a punk ethos in that they're willing to you know risk uh endangerment by playing that song in front of the crowd like i think it's kind of an important character moment as well and shows how they are more likely than than others in society um especially at large to wind up in the situation they do wind up in they like that real punk rock bass. Yeah, punk rock pizza rolls. Punk rock pizza rolls. So, can we talk about Patrick Stewart's character? I mean, are we jumping too yes. far ahead to, to kind of just get into that? No. no. Um, I, for me, the essential question, and maybe it's the same question that you is on your mind, is, is Patrick Stewart miscast, or is he mispresented, or does he do a good job? I think he does a great job. If I can just jump in on that. It's jarring at first, though, because, I mean, you eventually figure some things out uh, as the movie goes along um, about, like, what his whole enterprise is. But initially, I was like, he's he's too old for this. What is this guy? <laughs> what is granddad doing there? But it ended up working out fine for me. I think patrick stewart does a great job. He has great presence in this film. But I do kind of feel like he's miscast it feels 
very much like stunt casting to me because obviously yes. how else are you going to describe this movie to your friends other than Patrick Stewart plays a neo-Nazi villain? Like that is yes. the hook. And I feel like I don't, and he, and he doesn't really change his voice, you know, like we've got, you know, a bunch of American villains in general, but his, his accent and voice, I mean, he may modulate his accent yeah. a bit, but he still basically has a British accent. He still basically sounds Bri- like Patrick Stewart. Brian Cranston, this is not. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like this, is, like, this is basically Picard showing up. Right. But he's a Nazi. Right. And it kind of takes me out of it a little bit, even though I do like his performance. Like, I almost want someone else there that, you know, is is not distracting me so much with the kind of stunt casting aspect of, of it. Yes, I, I, I wasn't going to say stunt casting, but it did feel like stunt casting to me, especially the way he's just kind of framed and the the anticipation to him showing up and then like kind of the glory shot when he like gets out of his car and it's like oh it's patrick stewart yeah and he takes and off then, his little cap from behind and you see his bald head and it's like ah you know it's like yeah he's cheering almost in that moment um And I mean, I thought the character was interesting. I wanted to know more about him. I wanted to understand him a little better. And I never really got what I wanted from that. I was just like, oh, well, here's Patrick Stewart, but he's a Nazi. And I was like, okay. And then, I mean, not to not to get into spoiler territory, but there is a line late in the movie where he says the N word. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and that seemed very stunty to me. Like, oh, look what we got Patrick Stewart to say, and he doesn't seem that comfortable saying it. I will say it's very uh, it is odd casting. I don't know if I I can see why it might ring as stunt casting for for a viewer, but what's especially odd to me is the choice of the role given that Patrick Stewart doesn't really do a lot of film work. Yeah. Like I was surprised just to see that he was in a movie at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, do we know any of the background behind behind how he and uh Saulnier connected or why why he No, it, I I don't, and it didn't come up on either of the two interviews that I listened to. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, I, look, I, I like Patrick Stewart. I mean, who doesn't like Patrick Stewart? Um, and I thought he did a good job, and I thought his character was interesting. But for the sake of the movie, I can't imagine the movie not working better with a lesser-known actor or, like, you know, not to be typecast, but like Ron Perlman or something or, or anyone behaving the same way, but just not Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so to get beyond my sort of issues with that though, I mean, it is an excellent performance. Like I love just how, uh, unflappable he is, you know, and almost yeah. seems to act without real malice for anybody. It's just about making sure he and his little band of psychopaths survive. He's so, clinical about it you know yeah that was very uh see i i was almost gonna say he was very cool which kind of brings me to my other question which is do you think this movie might make people want to become neo-nazis what no no <laughs> no okay what <laughs> that is such a bizarre <laughs> question i did I have mean, a question I, it, it just i the patrick stewart uh his level of um hold on what's the word i'm looking for um patrick stewart's level of competence Mm -hmm. and the whole organization of the neo-nazi franchise in this movie um 
plus the absence of any real critique not that i'm sure not that you need a critique of neo-nazi ideology i was like i don't know i can see like you know someone being like oh that looks cool i mean if you're that kind of person you're susceptible to that already if you're going to watch a fucking movie about neo-nazis i mean i think i don't think this movie pulls any punches about the fact that the neo-nazis are not good people yeah it's it's a i mean it's a given from the get-go and it almost we're probably gonna have a conversation uh i think this is a good movie to have a conversation about like is it horror or not normally that's kind of boring but it is interesting to me that this is in the horror category but the fact that there are neo-nazis and that we don't need a critique almost heightens them to the level of monsters to me um i mean nazis are garbage monster people but in this movie they felt like uh, they felt like a larger threat than just mere hateful human beings somehow. <laughs> I don't know mm. if I can explain it, but but in many ways, this felt like a monster movie to me. Mm. I can see that. I, I mean, it's it's horror enough, I guess. I mean, there's some, uh, obviously, some really intense uh, gore moments in this scene. There's, you know, it's a it's a visceral experience, the whole movie. Uh, it's, you know, as much of a horror movie as, like, Misery or any of these other movies that don't have monsters in them but involve people being trapped in horrific situations. Um, Fangoria, for what it's worth, nominated it for several Chainsaw Awards oh, in really? 2017. So... What is the Chainsaw Award for, for? For is that like their Oscars? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then also in 2016, they were nominated for several Blood Guts UK Horror Awards and something called the Fright Meter Awards. They were nominated for Best Horror Movie by the Fright Meter Awards. So this is all coming from Wikipedia. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I, I guess was, the I was not scared by this movie. We'll, we'll put it that way. But it, you know, oh, it's, wow, it's uh, um. It's stressful. And that's it's a stressful movie. Yeah, it's a thriller. And that's that's something the director kept coming back to in the interviews I was listening to, and I was kind of relieved to hear it. Um, he was setting out to make a visceral movie that people would have an unconscious reaction to. Um, and I think for he me. succeeded. Um, what whatever criticisms I have of the movie, um, I he certainly did what he set out to do. So, I mean, to me, one of the most interesting sources of tension in the movie is, uh, you know, so I mean, it's called Green Room and is and it is about them getting barricaded in the green room. And you would almost anticipate that they're stuck there for the bulk of the movie, like that the meat of the movie would occur in the green room and then they would finally get out towards mm-hmm. the end of the film. But they escaped this green room two or three different times. Yeah. And return to it because shit is so fucked up outside. And it's, it's really interesting the way it continues to heighten the tension. Cause you think, Oh, they're out. Okay. We're, we're getting somewhere. Oh no, we're going yeah, back no. to the green room because shit is fucking wild outside. Right. The, the green room is actually the, a sanctuary for them. It yeah. does become one. And like every time they left, I wanted them to immediately go back in and bolt the door, put the couch in front of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting fact that I learned in my podcast listening: um, all the interiors were uh, constructed sets. Oh, really? God, that's so weird because this movie Patrick mentioned at the outset. This movie—I fe- mean, the cinematography is is gorgeous for one. That certainly helps, but this feels like a lived-in space that really exists. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was totally there for every moment with these characters, and part of it is just the set design. Yeah, I, I mean, it actually, looks like like decades of punks have you know graffitied this room, including the furniture. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that specifically while I was watching the movie because I mean, there's there are so many little details in the background, all these bumper stickers and um, you know graffiti on the wall, all this Nazi white supremacy whatever bullshit. And I was just thinking, like, first I was like, oh, a production designer had to, like, go out and buy these stickers <laughs> or order them online to create this and perhaps ended up on, like, a fucking terrorist watch list or something. <laughs> or one would hope so that they did. Um, yeah. And then I was like, well, no, this they ended up so on like- a, They ended up on the short list for a cabinet position. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, no, this looks so lived in, though. There's, like, so much grime on everything. This has to be, like, some sort of real location that they found. So it's, yeah, it's even more mind-boggling to me now to hear that that actually was just a constructed set. Yeah. And you know what? I kind of related to this and, and maybe you guys relate to this because, you know, in, in my neck of the woods and in our neck of the woods, you know, we have uh, like the Iron Coffin yeah. motorcycle gang mm-hmm. and they have their clubhouse, which is very similar, you know, not too far from where I live. Mm. I don't know to what I don't know what goes on in that clubhouse. I, I don't think that they identify as a one percenter motorcycle club. Um, <laughs> they're probably they're probably all just fine working class motorcycle enthusiasts. I don't know. But, um, you know, I you do drive by there at night and there's just, you know, nothing but like, hundreds of choppers parked outside and it's kind of set in the woods kind of, you know, open uh, fires. It, it, <laughs> yeah. It's on like a main road, but it still feels very remote. Um, and I'm like, what would it be like just to show up there? Oh, I've, you know? I've wondered for years, ever since I first drove by, I've wanted to spend a couple hours there, but I don't know. <laughs> After this movie, I'm kind of worried I might not make it out alive. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this uh, this whole like neo-Nazi compound just feels all too real, um, which is even more sort of remarkable to me now that I know that it was a constructed set. Yeah, um, well, it was based. I mean, it's based on a lot of real world stuff. The director yeah. said that he's been in a lot of like rock clubs and stuff, and he had a very specific idea when he was writing the script of how it was going to look and everything. So mm-hmm. I have to wonder how much rec- you know how much of. Um, sort of the iconography of this community is real that's what that's a lingering question for me because it is absolutely terrifying to me to think that in in like the the hard like the the more right-wing side of the hardcore scene that there are people who are willing to kill for their cause and earn a pair of uh, uh, red shoelaces, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, right. is that a thing? So th- that was the iconography that, that resonated the most with me and I think actually provides one of the movie's best moments. Um, but I looked that up and probably ended up on a watch list myself. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, red laces are a thing. Um, the, I think the Southern Poverty Law Center is the website I was looking at about that, and it says that it means you've you know spilled blood for the cause. I don't know if it actually means that you've murdered somebody, but it's a thing apparently. Mm. And what about um, there? There are a number of moments in this movie because I mean there there is a lot of like like subtlety and kind of mystery to what's going on, and, and lots of little like little small details about this lifestyle that pop up. But at one point, uh, a character. Uh, suggests that they need a couple of true believers and I like the first thing I wrote down is like what's a true believer is that like a drug or a beer or something but no they have these they have these kids that are willing to one of them is willing to be stabbed by the other to so that when the cops show up which I don't know if we should go back and explain that whole 
situation, how that yeah. comes to be. So that when the cops show up and they know there's a stabbing, they stage another real stabbing to deflect the police. And I'm like, my God, Which would there be people plan. willing to do this? It's plan, awesome. Yeah. No, that's funny, um, Stephen, because I had the exact same reaction when they said that line about true believers. I assumed that it was just some sort of like lingo. I, my, my brain went to guns for some reason. I thought it was some sort of a weapon. And yeah, obviously, it's just a very literal, really, reference to people. But I yeah, I was like, oh, he's he's stressed out. He needs something to take the edge off. Pop a couple of true believers. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. They're poppers. And I, I, I liked how young a lot of the soldiers of the, the Nazi clan uh, were shown to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that felt very true to life, where it's like they're recruiting people who, you know... Are, are troubled youths. Yeah. I mean, cause I've listened to, a, you know, regular listeners of this show may know I listen to a lot of fresh air with Terry Gross. Terry Gross talks to Nazis all the time. Or even <laughs> just people who heard you make a Terry Gross reference at the top of this show. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, I feel like I've listened to enough reformed neo-Nazis that I know a little bit about <laughs> the culture. And like, yeah, they, they get kids and they get people who are like looking for community. And it doesn't matter what the community is. I, you know, yeah. one thing... From my from my experience that I I guess I'm just realizing that I brought to viewing this movie and one reason that like beyond the craft and just how realistic it seems it really resonated for me is it, it it's reminding me a lot of the third decline of Western civilization documentary have either of you mm. seen that yeah. um, which is a which is which is about uh, we um, saw that together we saw what's yeah name? with Penelope Spheres yeah do it too. that was dope. But that's that's like a really I mean it's it's an oddly sweet movie uh but it's a really gritty look at like the Seattle like hardcore punk scene and in the misguided youths who 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 seek that out for community because they've been you know abandoned by their families whatever they're living on the street and now that I'm thinking about like how those kids behaved in that movie the, this green room feels even more realistic to me and more grounded in reality yeah, you know, another interesting thing, I mean, speaking of both that and also of the, you know, Chris's, Chris talking about the reformed neo-Nazi interviews on, uh, on Fresh Air, um, kind of reminded me of how interesting it is, the, sort of the, the depth of different types of characters we see within this neo-Nazi community. You know, there's obviously Patrick Stewart, who's hardcore as fuck. And there are other people who are similarly similarly hardcore and like committed to the cause. But then there's also this really interesting character. I think Gabe is his name, who's sort of like the you know the the stage manager, like the guy who helps them out backstage, and yeah. is clearly you know the events take a certain turn, and Gabe is not quite as committed to the cause as one might think. That's interesting, and also interesting is that it turns out I don't know this may be spoiler room stuff, but. It turns out that the girl that was murdered got murdered because she and her boyfriend were actively trying to leave the community. So it's, again, just kind of interesting, the the level of uh, just kind of attention to detail that's given to characters in, in the film. Yeah, that said, though, I did not feel like this movie was really an ethnography of neo-Nazism or really had any interest in exploring it, really. Like, it kind of was just like, all right, here's not neo-Nazis as kind of stock horror bad guys. Um, 
and and went from there. And and the parts I was curious about were like, yeah, what kind of what's going on with Patrick Stewart? What's his story? What kind of organization is this? What's the backstory of these characters that are shown to be defectors to the cause? You know, and and and, and all that stuff. And we don't really get that. They're just kind of you know. They're they're there. They're gonna kill you. They're gonna put the dogs on you, etc. It is okay. So that that is kind of what it is for me. I think the reason um, that I that I brought up the decline of Western civilization documentary and keep like pointing out the performances, like with lesser actors and a lesser director, lesser cinematographer, set designer. I don't think this movie would work for me at all. I think it is, it is very thin. I don't think it has a lot to say about some of the controversial elements that are included in it, but because it feels so real, it was very investing to me. I, well, that's actually exactly what the director was going for. Well, good. He, Um, he succeeded. He talks about, you know, wanting to just make a genre movie, wanting to make an exploitation movie, but elevating it with some characters that feel real and, and, and the, the sense of realism throughout the film. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like that is the theme of both of his films that I've seen, this and uh-huh. Blue Ruin. And I don't know, you know, I, so not to get too far into reviewing it territory already, but I mean, I, I did enjoy this more than I did when I saw it in theaters, but I still have a bit of a problem with the way that his movies don't quite allow me to have the fun that I would typically have with a traditional exploitation film because they're so real and so gritty and the people in them, you, you really care about them because they do feel so real. Um, But at the same time, he generally doesn't give me quite enough. uh, He doesn't tell me quite enough about the characters for me to care. And I end up feeling sort of like, I've been toyed with a little bit because I've been brought to empathize with characters, but not quite enough. And then I just see them get put through the ringer of a bunch of violence and exploitation kind of shit. And, and then, you know, that's it. I wholeheartedly agree with that take. Uh, I had the same problem with blue ruin where like about a halfway through, I realized this is a very competently made and very stressful movie, but I don't Mm -hmm. care enough about the protagonist to see him through it. And I, I, you know, no spoilers for this movie, but I will say that by the time it ended, there wasn't really much emotional catharsis for me at all. I mean, I was glad it was over because it was so fucking punishing, but I, there, there wasn't really a moment where, um, if, if any, there was a moment where I realized during the film, if anybody makes it out of this alive, I'm not really even going to be wondering what happens for them next. Like, I don't care about them that much, <laughs> which is, um, it seems yeah. like that would be what you, what you would want in a film like this. And to, it's interesting that I was able to follow these characters and still feel invested in them while also feeling that I don't really care what, what happens if they survive this. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I would echo that to a degree. I, I do care about the characters in his films. Um, they, they are complexly, they're, they're drawn with enough complexity for me to care and to get invested. But um, I, I sort of want to echo what you said about, you know, how does this change them? Like what's next for them? Uh-huh. The characters who survive at the end of this movie, you know, you get the sense that they've been through some shit and they've obviously chosen, they've made some choices that they never thought they would make in their lives by the end of it. But you don't really get a sense of, you know, where their life goes from here or how this has really changed their life. 
and the movie ends almost on a punchline that yeah. sort of seems almost like they're sort of intentionally trying to rob us of 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 seeing Great where that flip. goes. Um, I I can speak when we get into the spoiler room. I think I can speak as to what was intended by that final line and everything. Um, I the characters just I'm not going to say they fell flat. Yeah, they seemed like real people, but I didn't know enough about them, and I didn't care about them. And that's my big problem with the movie. Really, it's like everyone's kind of interchangeable and disposable, and that's why we're talking about. It. And we're like, yeah, the guy with the green hair. Oh, the girl. Like whatever. Like all beyond their physical appearance, there's very little that we can associate with any of these characters and i don't know just wasn't enough for me and it was such a thin such a thin concept um that i feel like it could have put more effort into being more complex on that front if it had i don't think it would have been nearly as thrilling though like i do kind of like i don't even know that i really have many problems with this movie because i wouldn't want it to be anything other than exactly what it is um it's not to say i'd recommend it but i think it's kind of perfect on its own terms i don't need any more like I, this is not a thinking man's movie <laughs> um and i already know that i don't like nazis uh in that you know punk ass kids make stupid choices that's enough yeah for me. yeah i kind of agree with that it's so weird because i I admire it so much. I think it does so many things so right, yet I still feel a little cheated by it, you know? And and another a filmmaker I really, really thought of while watching this is S. Craig Zoller. Um, and I, I don't yeah. know. I, I, I think, Stephen, you've seen Brawl in Cell Block 99 and mm-hmm. um, Bone Tomahawk. Have you seen either of those, Chris? No. I mean, Zoller has, like, the exact same thing going on where he wants to make nasty exploitation movies but he also has this incredible attention to character and to performance that draws you in so much but i feel cheated i I felt cheated by bone tomahawk in particular because at the end like you you build you know cinema is an empathy machine whatever uh and and you're so good at building empathy but then you just kind of leave me hanging at the end with the sense that you know, in the end, the point was just the thrills and the exploitation stuff. Well, in some ways, I think Zoller is like the, I mean, I think he's in the same field as Selnier, but he's kind of like the anti-Selnier in a lot of ways, because Zoller has come out saying that he is making movies for the MAGA crowd. <laughs> yeah. I don't I'm think that to, could be I said in this that, film. I feel like that got taken out of context somehow. I forget what it was. I I don't think so. I mean, I don't. We can talk about Bone Tomahawk some other time. But I have some serious <laughs> moral issues with that movie. Yeah. Um. Anyway, this conversation's been really light on the horror. I think maybe you know I'm getting the sense that we can't reveal too much more without reviewing it. But we haven't really talked about, or we've hinted at, but have not spoken at length about just how fucking grisly and nasty and gory this movie is. Uh, yeah. I was screaming. I like I'm not kidding there were multiple times where I was just repeating fuck 
over and over and over again and louder and louder and louder. Then I realized my windows were open and I should probably go close those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one award it did win in the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, Best Makeup and Special Effects for 2017. Yeah, and there, wow. there are moments of, I mean, there are very few moments of restraint, though they work very well. But otherwise, we see people get pretty fucked up in this movie. Anton Yelchin's arm gets shredded to bits as he goes to, to hand... Uh, a gun off through the door of the green room to I almost called him Patrick Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> what the Dude, fuck, Patrick, Patrick Stewart might have been better as the skinhead leader. I could totally see that. I can see that too. Patrick Wilson in Insidious Chapter Two mode. Um. Anyway, yeah, we see his arm get shredded. We see people's necks get you know, completely ripped apart by dogs. Uh, Alexandra, if you're listening, don't watch this movie. <laughs> I know you have a great fear of dogs, and now I understand why. Gunshots um, everywhere. Oh, yeah, this Yeah, this let's film do those drive-in sets, totals. <laughs> um, th- this, this film sets back Pitbull relations t- 15 years. <laughs> well, and also, let's not forget the one point at which Imogen Poots' character, I mean, this is great great acting moment but like slowly slowly decides that instead of choking out this guy who's been stuck in the room with them and keeps threatening them with a gun she's just just gonna open his stomach open with a box cutter and it is a really quick but really horrifying and yeah again just very real feeling moment yeah this movie is gorier than at least a couple saw movies yeah and and, and the gore is extremely well, I would imagine. I've never seen any of these things happen in real life, but it's extremely naturalistic looking. Mm-hmm. Well, the, all right. I don't want to. I don't want to be the guy who's just you know keeps quoting other podcasts. But um, the We've director said there. that you know <laughs> a lot of this stuff um, is based on images that the director saw, like in documentaries. He watched like a documentary on prison where like someone was getting stabbed in the head, and he saw like some like UN peacekeeping video that involved like a arm similar to the arm injuries that we wow. get, and you know stuff of dogs, dog attacks, and stuff. And he was like, yeah. I've been having nightmares about this stuff for decades, and so I decided to turn it into entertainment as a catharsis. He couldn't wow. have just made a supercut, like <laughs> he had to go out <laughs> and raise the money to make this movie instead. What's up, guys? This is uh, the top twenty grisliest uh, wartime footages. Like, share, subscribe. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I mean, to to him, if I were interviewing him, I would say, "Cool story, bro." Yeah, I, mean, I like. I want to talk to him now. We have so many qu- kind of questions that have come up in this discussion. I, I want to see if I can track him down for an interview. I want to have a conversation with him. Well, we could he watch. Like he a has cool a guy. Netflix movie, um, so maybe we could review that and like a movie made for Netflix, an end film, end film. So maybe we could review that and get him on because I don't, I don't review think it was what? well received, and he would probably like to talk to somebody about it. Oh, review his most recent film, the one he did yeah. for Netflix. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I'm curious about that. I think Jeffrey Wright is the star, who I yeah. like a lot. Well, he uh, he seems like a cool guy, and, and so does Anton Yelchin seem like a cool guy, so it's too bad that he kind of died prematurely. Yeah, or one out. No kind of about it. He died prematurely. I was going to say something. <laughs> well, guys, do you guys uh, want to review this? I'm down to review it. Yeah, Patrick, I'm curious about you. So you picked the movie. You you said you didn't like it the first time around. What did you think the second time around? Well, you know what? Before I give my review, well, 
our audience is still on the edges of their seats waiting to find out how we all rate this film. I want to remind everybody that we have merch, we have shirts and all kinds of shit with uh, every horror movie on Netflix art on it that you can buy and wear and show everyone. We got the we got the amount of blood coming out of the TV that's almost equal to the amount of blood in this movie. Yep. Go to our website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. Click on the link that says Merch Store. Go buy some of that shit. We will love you for it. Uh, we'll appreciate you repping every horror movie on Netflix. And we'll also appreciate the, like, two bucks that we make off of each of those shirts. Also, That's, that's about more than the band in this movie made from that show at the Mexican restaurant. Uh, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, guys. Give us our, uh, our cut of the door here. Also follow us on your social medias. We're at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast, everywhere you could want to find us, except maybe like TikTok or whatever the fuck the kids are using these days. We we might have some very special, very special uh, quarantine-related live content coming to you in the weeks to come. Uh, details on that to follow, but uh, now would be a great time to follow us on social media if you don't already, so you know when that's happening. And last but not least, don't forget to go to your favorite podcast provider, subscribe to every horror movie on Netflix, rate us, rate us five stars, leave us a review. We love it. It helps people find the show and tell your friends about us if you enjoy it. Leave a review for the love of God, because I feel like we're just, we know people are listening. We know you're out there, but it feels like we're just casting a net into a void sometimes i don't think we've had us i don't think we've had like a legit review on itunes since 2017 oh, we had one, uh, last month actually oh, we did so. okay well it's yeah, not we're, enough we're good keep them coming we need we always, always could use more we need reviews on a weekly basis at 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 worst like not well, none of it's yeah, monthly I, I, shit don't give us this monthly look, shit Fuck our reviews. The thing I like the most hearing from people who listen to the show is what they thought of the movies. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have seen Green Room. There's probably a lot of strong feelings about it. Please drop us a line. Engage with our social media. Give us your take because we are just three men not representative of the world population and we want to know what everyone else thinks about these movies and we've got a lot more time on our hands now uh due to the state of things and uh you know you never know who's gonna pop in and respond to you it's gonna say amon either way but it could be me it could be patrick could be chris roll the dice now that we've issued the disclaimer that uh our opinions are just the opinions of you know three white men here are the opinions of three white men on this movie Obviously, my, my views on this movie are complex. Um, I had some problems with it we've, that we've talked about, but it is entertaining. It's unique. It's well done. And uh, I, I would recommend it to anybody. I'm going to give it a view it. How about you, Chris? I'm going to give it a cue it. Uh, I can see and understand why a lot of people would like this movie. Uh, I'm, pro- I'm sure we have a lot of listeners who love this movie for all the things that it succeeds at, which is just offering a really grisly visceral thrilling experience i just was left a little wanting i think i think it didn't quite work for me on a character level some of the action and narrative beats weren't tight enough or 
I don't know a movie like this and this is probably a, a whole another discussion that we can save for later or never get to I don't care but um, a movie like this where you have characters in a, with a very specific dilemma I feel like you need to have specific rules and we need to see them making you know smart decisions to get out of it and there were a few times where I couldn't quite track why the characters were doing what they were doing it seemed like they had some opportunities that they kind of left on the table and so it kind of made me less invested in the whole plight when I'm like oh wait they should have done that like maybe when the guy is like oh hey here's where we keep all our guns you follow up on that instead of just running outside with your fluorescent lamp tube you know (laughs) things like that so it just didn't connect in a couple places but overall you know good job to everybody they did exactly what they set out to do i can see a lot of people liking this movie just for the visceral thrill of it which is all it's really trying to do so cue it steven i will also give it a cue it um uh, that said, you know, these ratings are, are kind of thorny for me sometimes. Uh, I I mean, put it in your queue, but I would only recommend watching this movie if you have a very high tolerance for, for blood and guts and just sheer oppressive stress. Uh, this movie did a number on me today. It left me feeling very kind of kind of bummed out for like an hour afterward honestly but it, that speaks to how effective it is it's a very well crafted movie well acted movie um and and the characters make uh i mean it makes for good stress because the characters make if not always intelligent very realistic choices and it is quite the ride to watch them go through this journey so again that's yeah. a cue it for me all right well it is that time in the show where we go down those dark, dank, and musty steps to the spoiler room where we're going to spoil everything, get into all the crazy shit that happens in the final act of this movie. So if you want to experience all that crazy shit on your own, go watch the film uh, and come back later. If not, uh, we're going to take a little break and we'll see you in like two whole seconds, which is the perfect amount of time for you to go order one of our shirts. All right, welcome back, everybody. We are down in the spoiler room. We are down in the spoiler green room, ready lots to... Of, don't forget to lock the door all over the walls of the spoiler room. And What's so going on? realistically distressed as well, I must say. I, I'm wondering, door. Chris, if these are uh, actually your Nazi stickers or if you we, built we, we, that yourself. I, I'm going to point the finger at, at Gregory on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, so fuck. What are the spoilers? Like, what do we have to get into here? I mean, the spoilers Everybody in this movie dies. are like who who lives, who dies, um, what's secretly going on in this compound. You know, why why is it so important that these guys don't get out? It's not just because they witnessed a murder. It's because Patrick Stewart is manufacturing heroin in the facility. Yeah. Or as he calls it, N word dope. Is it, doesn't, is it dope? Is that the word that he, he uses? calls it? Something Super like dope that. at one point. Yeah. Which I thought would be a great band name. And again, the the delivery of that line just seemed very unnatural to me. It did not seem like a character who's used to saying that word. I disagree. I liked the sort of like casual way that he tossed it off. It did feel like a character who is used to using that sort of language. The weird part about it to me was, again, just his voice. Like hearing Patrick Stewart basically in his British accent saying that it was like, wait, what? I gotta say, you guys brought this up. Like, I didn't, 
I mean, he was doing like a different kind of voice. I didn't really read it as his accent, though, for most of the movie. Like I, Wait. I it just it just seemed like Patrick Stewart to me, and it seemed like you know it almost seemed like a Family Guy skit or something. Like remember that time Patrick Stewart played a neo Nazi, and you cut to like him like saying this <laughs> stuff in his normal Patrick Stewart voice. Yeah, that's that's accurate. But yeah, so I mean, Patrick Stewart. Yeah, they're producing drugs. Um, the first time they leave the green room, uh, two of the members of the band are just fucking ruthlessly murked in the space of like 45 seconds or mm-hmm. something. And then they run yeah. back to the green room. That's some pretty shocking shit. Yeah. Including, uh, the jujitsu guy who I was excited for, cause we haven't seen uh jujitsu employed in a film yet. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't even uh, think of you during the multiple jujitsu sequences in this, Chris. I, I feel kind of well, bad about that. Probably because I suck at jujitsu. But you taught me that move. I was yeah, going to say, I feel like you have shown us this exact move that he executes on the fucking bouncer guy. Yep, I have. Armbar, nothing to it. Arm thankfully, bar, you were right. gentle with me. Yeah, thankfully, or you actually, didn't break no, I performed the move on you. I think that's how it worked. It was very uh, awkward. Yeah, I, mean, way. I, I have I have people train the train the move on me if I'm trying to teach it, but yeah. So yeah, they both die. Turns out there's a secret basement that we bash our way into using a mic stand. Um, kind of unclear, like what the functionality of that basement was, though, because there was seemingly almost no way into it. Certainly no way out of it. Um, um, no, well, there was a trap door to the outside. But yeah, it was, but it, it was sealed so small. It was like a chimney almost. I was like, why is this? It just architecturally, it was very confusing. I was architecturally confused by that. I wasn't um, at all. I thought it, I mean, well, I don't know exactly where, like what the, the exterior of the building looks like, but it made sense. One thing I was curious about is there's like a little, um, <clears throat> like, like shoot, like delivery shoot with little wheels on it. And they never really kind of climbed up that and investigated where that went thought that was a missed opportunity mm-hmm. yeah um but yeah these guys are totally trapped um a, a, a big plot point is that the girl who was stabbed in the head and killed the, the murder victim at the beginning um was planning to defect and leave the nazis with her boyfriend who was another nazi um and so the boyfriend ends up kind of joining the cause for a hot second before he's unceremoniously killed. I, yeah, can I ask a question? That's the, scene, that's the scene I was criticizing where he's like, hold on, I'm going to show you where they keep all the guns. And he's like clearly going for either a gun kept under the bar or a switch to open something under the bar. But he gets shot. Um, and then the characters end up killing the guy who killed him and like lingering in the bar. And they're like, all right, let's just go outside. And they never really check to see what's under the bar. Yeah, they grab the shotgun from the guy who shot the the would-be defector but they never yeah they never look around. actually they do because they get some shells out from under the bar i think uh, yeah that was a little confusing to me it's all a bit yeah. chaotic but they got a gun. i don't know one thing i, I thought he was about to just flip over the bar like men in black and there were going to be like all the machine guns <laughs> in front of it the noisy cricket <laughs> Yeah, this is kind of like a siege thriller, um, but from the inside out. And I love that as we enter the final act of this movie, everything is laid out for us very clearly. Not only the stakes, but like we know how many bullets there are <laughs> at any given moment. Yeah, and that that was yeah. really fun for me. And there's there's a there's a great 
kind of tense moment uh where where the the two who've survived up to that point lure someone down into the the heroin place and one of them just every time he fires the gun at them the girl uh image inputs right that's her she yeah. she like fired she like shouts out the number of bullets left in the gun and i i thought that was kind of cool yeah and and also that happens at the beginning when the guy has the pistol and they're talking about whether it's a six shooter or it's actually a five shooter yeah. and all this stuff it was i don't know it, it seemed like count von count might have punched up the script a little bit on this one. <laughs> oh my god chris <laughs> so joyless <laughs> so joyless um two shots left ah, ah, ah. <laughs> jesus christ no i mean it's i i enjoyed it it helps ratchet up the tension for sure it not only ratchet, yeah, it ratchets up the tension by um, by by helping keep you grounded. Something this movie does remarkably well in a number of ways. One thing, because I don't know, I'm just rambling, thinking about what I remember from like the second half of this movie right now. Fuck, I've been rambling this whole podcast. I'm, I'm pretty out of it today. But one thing I found to be like a little bit weird was the use of uh, feedback like audio feedback to deter the dogs do you guys think that would have actually worked i believed it i it i believed it the first time and then when they settle in to do it again and they like from the the receiver in the green room they like make the whole place ring with feedback i was like i don't know this is a little silly to me i mean i know i'm no caesar milan but i feel like it worked i mean i feel like it would work yeah, I, I I can't speak to the authenticity of that, but I didn't really question it too much in the moment. The only thing it was really the only like technique used during the siege that that kind of pulled me out of the experience for a moment. Not because I don't believe it's possible, but it just seemed a little too convenient. Well, Anywho. so Anton and Imogen Poots. Oh yeah, Alia Shawkat also bites it pretty. Uh, unceremoniously one time when they try and get out of the compound. Um, and then we're left with Anton and Imogen Poots, which is fine because they're both the most interesting characters of the sort of lead quintet. Or at least they become the most interesting characters because we have the opportunity to spend the most time with them and get more quiet moments with them compared to the rest of the cast. Well, part of that is natural because the others die and we have to focus on them. Well, I, I, there were the two that I liked the most, just as characters and as performances. The others, I didn't feel. I liked Alia Shakat's character, but I was more in. I was more invested in the other two that we get left with. And and she's she is a Nazi who you know is like leaving the the group. Imogen you know, Poots. So, yeah. yeah, so she's a defector. Uh, we don't really get any exploration of that other than they're like, oh, these are your friends. And she's like, what do you want from me? I hate black people. And they're like, well, what do you think about white people now? And like, that's it. <laughs> Wait, really? Well, yeah, there's that thing at the beginning where, where they, they she has a throwaway line about why she joined the neo-Nazi cause. And she like, hates black people. I guess well, I totally she, she was like victimized, I guess, by black people at some point in her past. And so I guess she decided to become a neo-Nazi. Um, and it's wow. never followed up on again. Like her whole ideology is, is kind of irrelevant, but I don't know. I, wow. I, I feel, again, these are the things that kind of make me a little thirsty for a little more detail on this. I entirely missed that. I did too. I, like I would not have liked her character as much if I had caught whatever this was. It's right at the beginning when they're getting to know her. 
you know, and, and all the shit's going down, and they're, the siege is starting in the green room. Um, mm. And and then they're like, you know, I think we got to, you know, she was like, there something happened to me. There were black people. It was a problem in my neighborhood or something. I don't know. And then, like, the guys are like, well, I think we have a white people problem now or something because they're besieged in the green room. I don't know. I totally fucking missed this. Yeah. <laughs> I almost don't believe and I mean, you. I, I think you're paraphrasing the, very loosely, Chris. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but not really that much. I don't yeah. know exactly what was said. I mean, I'm sure it, it wasn't quite as absurd as I'm making it sound, but it's certainly in the ballpark. Hmm. Interesting. The point isn't how that was delivered. The point is that I was curious about her and her backstory, and it's kind of just falls on the wayside that she was a Nazi. But again, listening to the director talking, uh, this isn't you know American History X. This isn't a movie that wants to be about neo-Nazism or wants right. to be against neo-Nazism. There, there is the stock villains. Um, and the director said that one of the themes of the movie is, and this kind of uh, sounded like both sidesism to me, but he said that one of the themes of the movie is ideology and hierarchy and, you know, how ideologies put people against themselves. And, but if you strip it away, we're all humans. And he was talking about how as like the third act goes on kind of the ideologies fall by the wayside and people are just acting like humans or whatever. I don't know. That sounds like any violent thriller to me. <laughs> like, I think that's like what naturally happens when you have people pitted against each other with weapons. It, it doesn't sound like very high minded thinking. to yes. me. Yes. Okay. So let me, let me tell you my crackpot theory about, the end of the movie this is this is what i started to pick up on or this is what how i started to interpret the end of the movie and this is what made me curious to see how much of it was intentional Mm. or if i was just giving the movie too much credit as we say but i started to read uh anti-war messaging in this movie um chris you've been quarantined for way too long (laughs) i'm i'm so fascinated by the themes that you pull out of movies yeah. Um, now, again, like like Stephen just said, I, I, they were kind of trying to go for some theme, uh, some, some some broad, vaguely political concepts. And I think when you pair those semi-universal concepts with like the war imagery that we get, these things can kind of come up, whether they're intended or not. And then, of course, there's me and my you know lefty brain and how it's interpreting things. But by the time you get our heroes who have painted their face in like Vietnam era camouflage and they're going up against these guys and, and killing them. And our hero Anton Yelchin is like, Oh, I didn't know we were actually here to just kill all these guys. I thought we were just going to like, I don't know, call the cops or something. Yeah. Um, you know, you start to get a sense that like, Oh, maybe these guys are doing horrific things themselves and they're kind of doing it with the iconography of, you know, Vietnam era, uh, militarism and then you combine that with like the story we hear about the u.s military veterans from iraq playing paintball yeah. and how they got upstaged by you know someone who was just clowning around you combine that with the fact that the villains of the movies are literal nazis uh i was like maybe we're actually telling a story here about u.s military involvements historically somehow just but, it doesn't that okay the I, the imagery is there for sure and, and i i'm following you but the the central plot has nothing to do with that 
right. in, the, in like yeah. in our, our protagonists have have nothing to do with that. Um, I, I mean, thought there was except something for the there. sense that they find it's, themselves it's, in a war that they didn't sign up for. So I guess maybe there's some kind of. And hey, what what do we know about our heroes? Very little, except they love to steal oil. Can I? <laughs> <laughs> okay, for listeners, uh, the the characters at one point. I mean, we meet them. They have uh, crashed their van into a cornfield, their Econoline, uh, because they've all fallen asleep, including the driver, and they have to go into town to siphon gas out of a car. Something I have actually witnessed firsthand in my life, and they did it correctly. Um, and yeah, and, and, and then the, it's the later pinned gas against comes them. up several yeah, times. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's later it's later pinned against them as a motive for quote unquote breaking into the compound. Um, yeah. Okay. Here's a question I have. Uh, the more I think about this movie, you know, this is about it's about punks, obviously, and punks tend to be very opinionated people. Uh, but the the younger ones, I think, are just kind of angry at everything, and they don't really know how to articulate it. At least the ones I knew when I was a teenager. Like, what is the ethos of this band? Aside from the fact that they want to be off the grid, can anybody answer that question for me? Because we kind of meet everybody or really get to know them in the beginning. Uh, they're they're being interviewed by the the reporter who's letting them crash on his floor, and they spend a lot of time talking about you know desert island bands. Turns out they're all lying. We find out in a pretty funny moment later. Um, but I don't really know what these guys stand for beyond just no it's being never cool. established and i mean it's, an, it's another it's another example of the like sort of it's such a weird like there's such a weird line where like these characters are a lot more fleshed out than i would typically expect of this sort of thing but they are frustratingly shallow at times and yeah no we never get a sense of like what this band is about exactly other than that they don't like Nazis. Well, they don't like Nazis. Um, they want to live on the fringes, but there's some really interesting, like, I mean, looking back on it now, like throwaway lines, um, you know, while, while they're being in, I think it's while they're being interviewed, you know, they, they, they're talking about what life is going to look like when they get older. And, and I think Anton Yelchin says like, I don't want to be fucking listening to minor threat when I'm 70 years old. And another says, I'm not going to live to be 70 years old. And it's just this interesting window into like, foreshadowing. I, I think these, <laughs> I think these characters are, um, the, the, we're clearly catching them at like, a crux in their lives that weird period between adolescence and adulthood you know like because when you're 21 you can drink and whatever but you can't you're not really an adult you know until you're like in your late 20s early 30s and i kind of had hoped that this movie might at least have something like some kind of like wistful element to it about that time and how this is like a, a true loss of innocence tale. And how ironic is it that it's about these people who live pretty dangerous lives to begin with. And they're confronted with mm-hmm. like, they're really confronted with their mortality, the thing that they're raging about in their songs all the time. But the, the pieces don't really add up to anything even remotely approaching that. I, th- I was kind of disappointed by that. I, I like your idea. I, I would I would watch the Stephen Rewrite writes the movie on on this one. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I I like to take these things at face value a little more. I mean, I do always enjoy when I mean, well, I guess well, both of you, but Chris especially often tries to sort of pull out these themes or 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 sort of lay out a template for themes they might have pursued. But I just kind of like interacting with it as 
again taking it at, at face value yeah and that's how this movie's designed to be taken and they like i said they achieved exactly what they were going for um so good for them they did um, and, and i will i will say patrick because this has been kind of a very interesting ongoing conversation with how the three of us approach movies differently i'm coming more from a place of there were there was information given to us in this movie that was never really followed up upon and it it left me like wanting a little bit more in the end it's not because i'm just like dreaming up uh some fantasy version of this movie that would be better suited to my taste it's just that like the movie gives you like a little bit of that stuff and it seems important and then yeah. it never it never reemerges like i was fully expecting this to i was expecting to cry by the end of this movie if i can be perfectly frank and what i got was so not what I thought was set up in the first 15 to 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If, I'm not going to say I require a theme from everything. Cause certainly that's not true, but nice to have though for me, it's nice to have. And, and this movie does aspire to some themes. having listened to some interviews with the director, of course, but I feel like that's just kind of the difference between a movie that you can, you know, acue it where it's like, yeah, you can watch it and have a good time or not. And you were not missing anything. And a movie that you can really recommend to somebody like, what does this movie give you to think about afterwards? What's the reason to watch this movie? Is it just a thrill ride? All right. Well, that's cool. But like, you know, am I ever going to watch green rim again? Fuck no. Uh, Fuck no. Like, you know. <laughs> I can't speak I for you, but I know I you did. did and you're crazy. Here's Okay, here's the reason I gave this movie a cue. It, like, if I can elaborate on it a little bit more, it is so. it takes us to such dark, awful, just disgusting places. And, you know, I, I don't expect a lot out of a movie, especially one that seems to be trying to just offer genre thrills. But this movie is, like, too dark to justify how little it has to say about anything. Like I can't, I can't like in good conscience recommend someone watch this movie and have the experience I did of being made horribly depressed and uncomfortable, albeit thrilled, you know, if there's not something human to cling to, if there's not some like character resolution or some like broader statement about the issues at hand, and that's where this but movie again, falls I short. Love the Saw movies, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. true. But those are, I mean, as gross as those are, I don't know. They're, I mean, they're kind of fun. Like they don't take themselves. Well, right. they take they themselves. themselves that they take themselves pretty seriously, but not too seriously. Right. And you kind of you can sort of like temper your expectations going in and be like, oh, this is just a movie. This is a movie that right. I literally <laughs> wrote in my notes. <laughs> I said it aloud to myself and I wrote it in my notes. This is only a movie <laughs> at one point yeah. <laughs> because I was getting yeah, it, so stressed out by it. Keep repeating to yourself. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. Candyman, 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 Candyman. <laughs> oh, can't say that. Um <laughs> You know, you see the A24 logo at the beginning, and you're oh, like, God. you got some expectations. Chris, you and A24, what's the deal there? <laughs> like, Do you see that as like the ultimate bastion of highbrow entertainment? I don't know enough about their catalog, but I know that I've liked most of the A24 movies I've seen. Well, it's kind of become a meme, too, Stephen. Like, just A24 is, like, weirdly in the mainstream now, where, like, people fucking tweet about it who don't really know that much about film right a- a24 is saving cinema like shinola is saving detroit <laughs> Fuck off. right it's kind of um, no, i get it though. i get it in that like a24 is like 
you know, an art house. Uh, I mean, what are they even like a? What's what's the proper it's term? Distributor. distributor. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. Um, they they are like an art house distributor, but they do put their movies in mainstream cinemas. Um, so I guess maybe that's why, but I don't know, Chris, I thought you might've had a personal vendetta cause you, <laughs> you've made jokes yeah. about like, like, I, I, I'd like to say this, but I don't know if they a 24. No, he's, he's just playing to Twitter. Yeah. So, all right, we're in the goddamn spoiler room. We, we should finish up the spoilers. So fucking, uh, Imogen Poots and Anton Yelchin lay a pretty crafty trap for a couple of the Nazis who are trying to get into the green room. They fucking murk them. They, eh, they don't really take him as a hostage because at this point, Gabe, who I mentioned before, who's the, the sort of stage manager realizes that the jig is fucking up. And he literally just says, I want to go to jail because mm-hmm. there's no other Nazis left at the compound. And he realizes that like these, these two kids are going to kill him. And I, I just, that was an interesting performance because you get the sense that Gabe is not particularly committed to the whole neo-Nazi thing and maybe has gotten caught up in this against his own will. He's just a patsy. Yeah, you get the sense that he is kind of just, you know, the guy who manages stuff mm-hmm. um, and that he's not ideologically bent or, or doesn't really have any taste for violence or anything. But he also, you know, from his conversations with Patrick Stewart you get the sense that he has been around the block, you know, um, they're reminiscing about murders that have happened during their tenure. And and he gets his red laces from Patrick Stewart Mm -hmm. at one point, but there's kind of a dissonance between what we're kind of told in that exposition and what we see from him as a character and what he ends up, what his fate ends up being, which is, uh, he survives, I think he does survive. And he, uh, he does follow through on his promise to contact the police as well. I mean, well, he asks other people to contact the police for him, i.e. a bunch of migrants who are working on an orchard uh, not far from the property. But, I mean, it, it seems like he's sort of the one character who has a full arc in this movie. And yet, mm. I don't fully understand him. And I, I think yeah. part of that might be, um, you know, the subtlety of the screenplay um, and how tense I felt in the moments when he was with Patrick Stewart that I don't know if I was able to fully follow along with what was happening on first viewing. They have a very interesting relationship. But Well, he'll probably be on fresh air in a couple of weeks to talk about everything. <laughs> yeah, because this movie came out this year. Um, so Imogen and Anton Yelchin uh, track down the Nazis who are trying to stage a crime scene to make it look as though the punk band intruded on their compound and I guess got shot and killed as a result of that. I don't know. I, I was kind of unclear. I don't on what know what so the okay. plan I'm was. So glad I don't you guys know were how confused. much that's really going to throw the police off the trail and like throw them off the trail of the heroin and whatever. Yeah, because I mean, for the first, I, I was so confused too and trying to put it all together. I think it probably all does make sense. Um, but it's, I don't know. I mean, it's a little bit frustrating to me that Patrick Stewart has like such is so clear headed and seems to have such a like a a very concrete idea about what's supposed to happen. And I never fully got it and never fully understood. But this is a movie that doles out some information um, like the red laces thing, you know, like things come a little bit later than you'd expect. And and that's part that helped ground me and thinking like, okay, like I am supposed to feel kind of alienated here. But that never made sense to me. 
to me. Like, I guess the idea was that they were supposed to have driven onto his property to siphon gas and got shot on site for trespassing. Is there is yeah. a there is a thing about putting up a no trespassing sign on his property or switching it out for a beware of dog? Thing, which is why they didn't want he didn't want his team to use very many bullets because they were going to have to pull the bullets out later. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think right, they wanted to make it look like the dogs got I think that's I think that's what's going on. Like it's all clicking together for me right now. Very convoluted, but also like I don't know. That convoluted plot is part of what made Patrick Stewart and these fucking Nazis terrifying to me because this is like business as usual. Like we've had to clean up messes like this before, time and time again. Here's another yeah, the, pr- the promise of what they were doing was very enticing, but then it was kind of a disappointment to finally get to their staging area and just see, like, oh, they just lined up the bodies on the ground and didn't seem to have a plan after that. Can we yeah. talk about I the final know. confrontation, the shootout? Do we want to go there yet? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. First, first I want. just want to give some credit, though, to, uh, to you know, we're talking about kind of the exposition and, and kind of the reveals that they they didn't do very well but i thought the red laces thing was very good i said before that was like one of my favorite moments in the movie where we don't know what red laces mean unless you're like proficient with the uh uh southern poverty law center white supremacist glossary we know it's Um, bad we know it's something evil yeah we just know it's bad because patrick stewart's like get me some red laces get me some red laces and then they're all stuck in the green room at some point and then our imogen poots who is like the defected former neo-nazi she's like looking through the vent and she sees this red people wearing red laces outside the door and she just fucking freaks out and her reaction just really sells the horror of how bad it is to have red lace people at knocking on your door honestly that didn't really strike me as a reveal i don't know i was just like yeah these must be the elites the green berets of this squad and i i don't know that that mm. I, I, well, I, I, liked I, I liked it too and yeah that moment was god the moment when Anton Yelchin's arm is out the door and you don't know what's happening to it and you don't see all you see are the boots that was fucking scary to me I'm like there could be a werewolf out there right now I don't know yeah. <laughs> if, if this if this movie had a sense of humor he would he would pull his arm and it would just be a skeleton arm yes <laughs> it would be like smoking <laughs> acid burn acid yeah. over it I mean in the end you still don't don't know what happened to his arm i don't know what i mean like, i'm assuming he just got hacked up by machete but yeah yeah but you still don't actually like see it happening or even see the person wielding the weapon or what weapon they're using he, he probably just stuck anyway. it in a garbage disposal by accident so yeah fucking final shootout i i mean it's fairly like almost anticlimactic you know because there's not much of an exchange between our two remaining protagonists and Patrick Stewart and one of his remaining fucking henchmen. And after that, our protagonists fucking murk them also. Okay. This was confusing though. Patrick Stewart, like at the last moment starts to walk away as he pulls out a gun. And I'm not sure where he yeah. was going. I don't think he knows. He, I think he's like, understand? this is he fucking was, it. He was feigning. He was feigning, but he was walking away and that he was just like, you know, whatever guys. And he was just going to walk away. But he was actually going to turn around and shoot Because him. for whatever reason, oh. this was bizarre to me, too. Um, like, I kind of, I understood what 
the script was going for. But for whatever reason, I feel like we're we as an audience are to assume that he doesn't have a gun for some reason, which is preposterous. Of course he has a gun, and of course he's going to walk away and or do something, you know, to to pull it out. Well, and, we should know he has a gun because Anton Yelchin gave him the gun. Oh wait, really? Okay. Yeah, and that's the gun that he has at the end. Oh, well, yeah, he gave... Oh, it's yeah, the original right. five-bullet gun. Yeah, yeah. No, five, five which I did like the detail five where he turns around. He, I'm sorry. He gets a shot off and he misses, uh, puts a big-ass dent in like the dumpster that behind him that's dope. fucking huge. I was like, holy shit, this would make a person's head explode if they were shot with it. Because they've already established that there's just huge fucking cartridges in this gun. And the, yeah, you're right. Cartridges, not bullets. They make that very clear. Right. right. <laughs> um, also, in the process of this shootout, we get possibly my favorite shot of the entire movie because there's this. I mean, dogs are a running theme. It's like the the most dog heavy movie I've seen since fucking The Dark Knight. Um, yeah. But there's a dog that's on the loose and you just get the feeling that this dog is going to show up and fuck someone up at some point. And there's a great shot at one point that they got. So it's like an over the shoulder shot of the dog, just like kind of trotting along this road and you don't know where he is or where he's going, but it really builds tension in a cool way. And also it's just, it's just a really innovative shot that sticks in, I, that's stuck in my I, mind. Anyway. It was not over the shoulder, but I know what you mean because it's very much, you feel like we're, we're in the dog's world now. Um, right. I, didn't I mean, feel not like, literally over the shoulder, but you know what I mean? I, like it's, 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 it's at about the dog's perspective. Yes. Um, but, yeah. And, and it is, it is stressful, but also like, okay, quick question. Did they give the dog heroin or what did they pump into it? Because it was almost ambiguous dead. drug. They give Super the dog dope. a drug. They're like, oh, <laughs> the dog gets shot, and then they give it a thing. They're like, oh, this will keep it alive for two more hours. And then they turn on the feedback, and the dog just like like a like a penguin committing suicide just wanders off sullenly into the woods. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, that's an odd analogy, but okay. do you know what I'm talking about though? No penguins. Yeah, p- penguins do commit suicide, and what they do is they defect. They defect from their group, and they just wander off into the horizon. Wow! Yeah, this is a real. This wow. is a real thing, and that's why I thought about when watching this dog. I was like, oh well, the dog's going off to just let mm. the drug run it through run through its system and die. So when it finally showed up, I was like, that dog is. Uh, well, he's he's as good as dead. I don't think he's any threat here. But the dog shows up and it's really docile and he just kind of lays down to chill and perhaps die next to his former handler, uh-huh. which I think what the what the director was probably going for was that, oh, in the absence of hierarchy, in the absence of ideology, you know, we aren't uh, going for each other's throats anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, this is where this is where the movie came closest to like Patrick rewrites the movie, kind of me doing the Chris thing where I was trying to pull a theme out of it because I was like, oh, this dog is just a slave to its master's whims. You know, it's only like this dog isn't actually evil. It's just been, you know, corrupted by a shitty ideology. But yeah. I, I don't. I and don't, none of I these Nazis so, are evil. They've just been corrupted the by Patrick Stewart. That level of thematic depth. 
Yeah. So you want to complete the the metaphors here. The whole thing with the what's your favorite desert island band and the last uh, ending of the movie, the last line of the movie. Uh, if you listen to the director, it sounds like what he's going for is to say that, you know, these punk rockers have kind of been operating under the framework and the hierarchy and the social expectations of the punk ideology. And so early on, they all come up with, you know, hardcore punk bands yes. that they want to listen to on their radio but really they're all humans and they actually like prince and madonna and simon and garfunkel which is to say and that punk that, is inhuman which i also reject and, well, and, and and that comes out and they start you know they start revealing that at once all the structures around them start to get eroded away i think that's what they were going for uh, yeah i think yeah. they're they're kind of I mean, I think they're growing. This is all me superimposing my own ideas onto this, of course. But it, it seems like we're catching them, like I said before, at a point of, of crucial growth for for these young kids, and they're starting to get really tired of making seven dollars each playing a show at a Mexican restaurant. They're getting tired of the punk ethos. They don't want to be listening to Minor Threat when they're seventy if they live that long, and they're starting to admit that maybe they're posers in a sort of way that they don't really stand for anything. That their lives are, uh, yeah, that they're they've been living their lives in vain. But here's the thing. So I mean, I I, I feel like the very ending, like the literal final line of the movie, sort of. So, okay, let me preface this by saying I think the point you guys are making is really interesting about the way that it kind of pokes holes in their in the in the in the protagonist punk ideology by having these scenes where they reveal that they're actually into these pop groups, etc. But sort of at the last moment, the movie almost willfully invalidates that interpretation by literally having Imogen Poots' character say, like, her final line is something along the lines of, like, tell someone who gives a fuck. Tell you know, when Anton Yelchin exactly finally plays to reveal what his Desert Island band is. And and, that, and it speaks to sort of my main problem with the movie, which is that it almost willfully resists giving you that added depth of characterization or depth of theme. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I found that, that last line very frustrating. Uh, I will say... Uh, it made me giggle a little bit, and I it was desperate for levity at that point. But yeah. yeah, it does. I think you're absolutely right. Like my read is also that it completely invalidates any attempt that this movie might have been making to have some sort of message. Uh, yeah. But that could also have been in the delivery. I don't know because I could see that. You know that, that that's not unlike the end of. Uh, you know, five easy pieces or something like a movie that has like kind of an ironic little twist at the ending. I feel like it could have worked as if to say, like if we knew she was joking a little bit, maybe that it could have actually been semi profound, but as it's, as it's delivered, which I assume is as it was intended to be delivered, it kind of, it really just kind of takes the air out of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's 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 yeah. as if to say, oh, that was all a dream almost. Hmm. So one line I did like, because the whole ending of this movie is pretty cathartic, because you see these people who have been terrified and on the back foot for the whole time, and now they're free, and they're getting the drop on these Nazis. They have guns now, and they're, they're basically running the show. Um, and... They finally confront Patrick Stewart and they have, you know, a short conversation and Anton kind of 
taunts him and says, you know, it's funny. You were so much scarier at night. Uh huh. Um, which I really like that line. Yeah, and at the too. time, at the time it was also kind of feeding into my whole, Oh, is this a Vietnam allegory that we're, we're dealing with here? <laughs> Cause like, that's the story of Vietnam, right? The, the, the bad guys were scarier <laughs> at night. Um, <laughs> But, Dude, it's fucking 2015. Like, no one is making movies about Vietnam. I, know, I, mean, right? I, I, I hate to dismiss the theory. We but need to get no George Lucas back in the Vietnam. director's chair. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you, but you know what? This same movie could have been made in 1975, and it would have been a Vietnam uh, allegory. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Sure. All right. yeah, I feel I'll like any, any movie I'll made in 1975 that. was a Vietnam allegory in some way. It right. was affected by it anyway, somehow. Uh, I like the line. It worked well within my whole like military theme that I was trying to put together in my head. Uh, <laughs> even without that, I think it's still a, a fun line. Um, yeah. You know. All right. Well, you know what? We, this is yet another example of we've talked about this movie for I think almost as long as the actual movie itself actually yeah. run. So does anybody have any final thoughts? I feel like it's about that time to wrap it up. Here. Oh my God. I, I, you know, this is interesting. I have so much more I could say about this movie. Nothing earth shattering, but I, I'm going to hold back. Go watch it. Have your own thoughts. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting how much movie, how much this movie gives us to talk about uh, for a movie that I thought was quite thin. I think we can all agree that it was thin in most aspects, oh, yeah. you know, and just in simplicity and everything, but it's interesting how much it gives us to talk about. Um, yeah. It's interesting yeah. when we actually watch like a real movie on this show, <laughs> it gives us something to chew on, but no, I, I agree with yeah. you. It's very thin. It's very straightforward, but man, uh, there's a lot to unpack. Maybe yeah. we should do a part two. <laughs> JK. Yeah, next week. Part, two, part two is going to be the interview with jeremy saulnier patrick thanks so much for treating me to green room it's a very positive experience in my life during these very rough times what are we watching next <laughs> well you know as we've talked about many times today it's uh, extraordinary times a lot is changing in the real world and so we're going to shake things up on amon as well you know we're all quarantine we're all thinking about outbreaks we're all thinking about pandemics and right now the movie outbreak has been uh pretty high on the list of top 10 or whatever the fuck netflix does these days it's been popular let's put it that way people are thinking about outbreaks they're watching outbreak so we're going to do the same thing we're kind of breaking our usual format where we would normally spin the wheel of death to determine our next movie and we're going to watch uh, outbreak which also i should note is not a horror movie but you know, fucking, it's about a plague. It's about a that's pandemic. horror. Like you know, get over yourself. We are under a state of emergency, which means we can do whatever the fuck we want. Exactly. Except exactly. go outside. Are, for the next twenty-four days, all crime is legal. <laughs> <laughs> and coming up, there may be even some other really crazy shit that we might get into to entertain both ourselves and you during this horrifying time of social distancing and pandemic and infection and death. So stay tuned to the social media. Uh, at the very least, we've got outbreak coming up in a couple weeks and maybe some more shenanigans along the way. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Everybody go donate to a pit bull rescue. <laughs> you guys, it's been great talking green room with you. Thank you for going on this uh, perhaps unnecessarily depressing journey with me in this already distressing time. 
dead air. I don't know Everybody's what to say. gone. You're <laughs> supposed to say, you're welcome. <laughs> Are you kidding oh, me? Oh, I didn't know you were talking to us. <laughs> I thought you were talking to the listeners. Oh uh, yeah, well, yeah. No, Patrick. I, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blame you, even though you did pick the movie. But this was thoroughly uh, not what I needed today. Well, yeah. I mean, in my defense, I wouldn't have taken into consideration like, oh, it's quarantine. Let's watch a non-depressing movie. Like, what uplifting horror movies are there on that? Next show? week, we're gonna watch Wall-E. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, next we're watching fucking Outbreak. We can watch something that's like pandemic, cheesy so. and you know, like truly exploitation, and not something that's this bad. Like, I, I have to say, you know, I can handle a lot, but I would. I've I've been watching my media intake these last couple of weeks. You know, I'm human. Turns out, you should try to be too. Yeah, I mean, regardless, I don't think I would have taken it into consideration. But in my defense, I did pick this movie like while we were still kind of on the verge of. You knew uh, what was outbreak. coming. You traded in your stocks. <laughs> I remember we all kind of got together at my place, and there was kind of that sense of like, are we still supposed to be doing this? Like, is it still okay to see people? It was weird. All right. Well, anyways, uh, thank you guys for bearing with me through this depressing movie. Thank you to the listeners as well for doing the same and for listening to this episode. Go buy our shit. Go follow our shit. You heard the marching orders earlier in the episode. We'll be back in two weeks with Outbreak for every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. I'm Steven. And we will see you soon. Please stay safe, wash your hands, and don't fucking go out and talk to any people or touch anybody. Like, Don't touch your face. Protect our fucking country. Don't turn shit into even more of a horror movie than it already is. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs>